0: Let's do the clap sync. Come on! Uh, mm.
1: Let's do the clap sync again. It's
0: just a clap to the right,
1: <laughs> and then a snap to the left.
0: Oh God! Imagine what the Rocky horror picture show would be like if they actually had to clap sync? Take the shot. That's a goal! Sorry, um, hmm. I forgot. It's a new Premiership season this weekend. Just watch me. Football teams score their fourth goal, which dates this podcast immensely.
1: It sure does. Not only but, is it dated immensely, but you're also the only person here who cares about sports. So now you're like, now you're like super, super limiting the uh, re rewatch rewatchability of that quote.
0: Yeah. Ah well. Right. Let's just kick straight into this then. This is the Immaterial Gamers Podcast. Sure is.
1: There ain't no imitators.
0: No. Imitate- no imitar- immaterial. Didn't. Not
1: imitate. It, no, it's 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 immaterial, but it, there's no imitation. Yeah. Why would you imitate something that's immaterial? I mean.
0: I mean, that's just bizarre. Why would you do that? But uh, well, yeah, why we would are. you do that. <laughs> we are on episode fifty-four, and it's one of our occasional two-man pods. Yeah, it's your boy Ryan.
1: It's the it's your golden boys or are your ginger boys? I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, bronze boys.
1: Bronze boys. Gotcha. Copper boys. Copper there you boys. go.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like it's it's a highly discount uh, cider, copper boy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it's, it's 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 one of your copper boys. It's Ryan, and then it's your other copper boy. It's Duncan
1: from across the pond.
0: Indeed, and yeah, I mean, what about that week?
1: What about that it? Week? What do you even want to know? Who's uh, I just dropped my microphone off my desk. Hold on, I fixed it. I'm good. I'm good. Resume.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such a, <laughs> such a, a what a week that microphones get dropped. It it was that shocking. I mean, actually, now that I think about it, not much in the games industry happened apart from regulation, discrimination, and you know, bad shit.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a miserable news week. Uh, i got to yeah. be honest.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that miserable news week a little bit later on. I mean, I think at this point it's more of a case we need to do anything, anything at all, to, to make this a, a happy little podcast before the train takes a turn at Depression Central. So...
1: It usually doesn't go up from after the games, you know? It Usually usually the news is when it gets brought down.
0: Yeah. I mean, there. Uh, I guess I guess at that point, I mean, you know, it's nice to show some sort of enthusiasm in in what we what we enjoy and then just watch how every industry in the world tries to take that from you. But I've got to be careful. I don't want to make this a a you know, sort of a depression and a manifesto. I mean this this sort of comes up before the news later on. Let it let it be clear. The amount of shit that's going on in the world don't try and find an entertainment medium, the thing that keeps people happy and, you know, an escape from the crap in the world. Don't try and make that your reason the bad stuff's happening.
1: It's like, the the way this podcast is normally formatted, it's like a microcosm of gamer society. It's just like, you know, like we talk about the games that we're playing, you know, we're having fun, you know, doing our thing, meanwhile the whole world is falling apart <laughs> Just outside yeah. our window,
0: yeah, and pretty, we occasionally
1: acknowledge it, yeah. but then we just kind of like move back to our games, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely, but no, it came up as a bit of a joke. One of my, one of my old workmates went and posted something on his Facebook last week, um, as I put up the podcast actually, and it was uh, it was along the lines of, you know, thank God we don't have video games over here in the UK, otherwise we'd be rife with gun violence. And um, I, I kind of had to respond that we're going to need to shut immaterial gamers down, lest it become a manifesto of hatred. Cause, we're like the you British okay qaeda <laughs> Well, now we're on the watch list. Yeah. Uh, well, you
1: know, we were already I'll- banned in China. I mean, what, how much worse can it get?
0: Yeah, fair, fair. I mean, that being said, all all that's left is Russia, and then we've hit the, you know, the trifecta, haven't we?
1: I'm way more scared of Russia than I am of uh, anyone from the east.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay.
1: See, then. see, so, see? China will just censor you. Russia will like send people. Like there will mm. be people at your door, and they'll be like, "You don't talk about Russia anymore."
0: No, they'll 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 go and find they'll go and find a building in Manchester, you know, or like, you know, I mean, I mean, South Manchester. So you know, we could just turn around and just say. Oh look they've come to see great st andrews church you know one of one of manchester's most beloved churches now next thing i know i'll have some sort of like powder on my door handle and uh, you'll you'll see me in the news in 2 weeks after oh boy now
1: we can talk about Ryan in the news <laughs> and in I... our uh, first article first and only article of news this week uh turns out one of our co-creators uh died
0: yeah he, yeah,
1: uh, touched some powder and then he died.
0: Ah, uh, I know it's it's just it's just great, you know, to think that that would be the case, and then we'd have to find. Uh, I feel sorry for the person who would edit it, that one. Then,
1: fucking Russian rice and poisoning.
0: Yeah, that'd be Martin that'd have to edit it. Mm. Mm. So anyway, I've got an idea about powder. No, um.
1: <laughs> so speaking of assassinations,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, let's assassinate
1: to, uh... this intro.
0: Yeah, let's, nice. let's, let's finish it. So, uh, yeah, let's move on to what's been played. What's been played. So, Duncan. Yeah, I was... What have you played?
1: Uh, I was uh, kind of struggling this morning. I think about, like, did I play anything in the last week or two that was new? Um, so, yeah, that actually did come... One thing did come to mind that was totally worth talking about. So, sometime back, in one of the earlier podcasts, I talked about... Um, my StarCraft Risk board.
0: Oh yes, yeah, the board game that you used at a family board game night at one point, right?
1: Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's an alternative version of Risk that's been flipped on its uh, x-axis. Excuse me, I'm yeah. barping into the microphone. Um, and you know, it's they've both got extra. They've got special rules. You know, you've got hero characters that add one to your maximum dice roll. You've got objectives that you can use to win the game or give you a boost, you know, some kind of advantage over other players, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Et uh, it's a great board game. Uh, I love the new rules for it. And I recently played another uh, variation on Risk.
0: Ooh.
1: Ryan, are you a fan of Game of Thrones?
0: I, I know of Game of Thrones.
1: You know of Game of Thrones? You have heard of Game of Thrones?
0: I have certainly indeed. And I know there was some warring houses, a uh, a giant stabby throne, and dragons.
1: Yes, that is that that's a good summary of Game of Thrones. Cool. So yeah, Game of Thrones has a risk set.
0: Ooh, so be uh, set in set in Westeros.
1: Actually, that's the cool thing. It's the first risk set I've ever bought that comes with not one but two boards. Oh. The first board is uh, Westeros, the primary setting of the Game of Thrones uh, books and TV series. Yeah. Uh, however, there's also a second board featuring Essos, which is uh, the eastern continent,
2: uh... which is the
1: which is serves so as the secondary setting of the show and uh, the primary region in which uh, Daenerys Targaryen's story unfolds for much of the. First three quarters of the show.
0: Oh yeah, because she she spends a glacially long amount of time getting over to Westeros, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, because you know, at the beginning of the series, she had to flee with her brother because they were being persecuted. Blah blah blah, whatever. Anyway, so she went, so she uh, grew up in Essos, and uh, you know, cool things were happening there. And uh, so yeah, basically, the Westeros map is a five-player map and Essos is the head-to-head two-player map.
0: Ah, so it's sort of kind of... The, there was a point with Risk at one point where they decided that it was a bit unsustainable for people to play a massive game of Risk, so they did have a small, two-person, more objective-based version of the game. Before yeah, then, they... people decided that was too small, and they brought back the original one again, but in a more modern military setting.
1: Yeah, so there have they've been a lot of different versions of Risk, mm. and um, so this is the latest and greatest version. Oh, so how? Uh, so what's what's different about uh, Game of Thrones Risk as opposed to any other edition of Risk? Okay, so the the StarCraft version of Risk has a set of global objectives. Yes, uh, they're they're referred to as achievements that you can uh, unlock throughout mm-hmm. the game anyone can has access to them anyone can get them and by unlocking them uh, you get some special advantage one that's unknown to you until you receive it it's randomly yeah. allocated at the beginning of the game uh, then and depending on what game mode you win you may win the game after a certain number of objective objectives have been attained mm-hmm. or they might just be permanent buffs for you throughout the game and then you just have to do regular conquest for the rest of it depends on what version you're playing yeah Game of Thrones uh, actually introduces a currency system they have uh, they have a gold system okay where there are ports in the game which essentially act as like portals uh, mm. f- between any there are two different colors of ports and any same color port is connected to every other same color port right. So, you can declare war, on, you can declare an invasion on a territory that's like halfway across the map from another port. So, it creates a lot of like lateral thinking. Like, you're not just thinking about the extremities of your borders as being, you know, places from which you can be attacked. You also have to consider control of the ports as essential. So, that part is already pretty cool. But on top of that, the currency system sets it up so that you get gold based on how many troops you get at the beginning of the map, at the beginning of the round. Mm-hmm. So say so you get six troops, you get 600 gold, it's all in of a so 100. Uh, and for every port that you have, you also get an additional 100 gold. Right, okay. Uh, so, with this gold, you have a set of uh, four, every Player, every army has four like character cards, mm-hmm. and each character card has an associated cost and an ability that you can use once per turn by paying the gold cost.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. So they refresh every turn.
0: And what are these sort of abilities? Well, like, you might,
1: and- for example, you could play. You could pay three hundred gold to increase the value of your dice for by one for the rest of this invasion. This, this like, between these two territories, all of your dice rolls are increased by one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or it might say, you know, pay, you know, 100 gold or 200 gold and replace one of your attack dice with an eight-sided die instead of a six-sided die for the duration of this invasion or, or for this turn or whatever. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things that you can get off of character cards. Temporary, useful... Uh, abilities that can help you claim some territories right another thing you can do but the other thing you can do with the money is you can also spend it on objective cards objective cards are basically how you win in the like full version of this game like it has it has a it has a version of the game that's kind of like basically just regular risk with some small variations yeah, but the, the the like full version of the game, you complete objectives. You buy them in a from a store for two hundred gold apiece, and then you try to fulfill those objectives. You know they'll give you a mission. You know claim three territories in one turn from a single enemy. You know claim two ports, own one of each kind of port, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and they'll all have yeah. different amounts of victory points associated associated with them. Yeah. And by getting ten victory points from any objectives that you buy, you win the game.
0: Right. Okay.
1: You can also buy what are called master cards, maester which cards, which are maester cards. Yes. Uh, and they're the same price as objective cards; they're so two hundred points. You don't get any victory points for for them. However, unlike character cards, which are like repeatable every turn, mm. maester cards can you can spend an additional gold cost associated with whatever you know the card that you bought was to do a one time, one and done ability that could affect you for the whole turn or it could do something else for you. It could put extra units on the board to kill units from your opponent's army. There's a lot of things it could do. There's, there's like 40 different Maestro cards so a wide variety of different useful utility abilities. Uh, hmm. th- one of them was like, one of them was brutal. Uh, you, you buy the card for 200 gold. And then you pay an additional 300 gold, so 500 gold in total you pay. But by doing that, uh, at the beginning of your opponent's next turn, they get half the number of uh, armies and gold for their turn. With an obvious minimum of three, since that's the basic rules of risk. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so you can make them, you know, if they were going to get seven armies. And you know a thousand gold, they now, and it's rounded down as well. Mm. So they now get like three armies and like five hundred gold, or or less. Oof. or even like, because if it was three hundred armies, right? You know, three hundred armies plus like, uh, say, whatever X number of ports. Mm. You know, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to imagine how many ports you would need for like. So if you, so if you had like seven armies and like three ports. Okay, there you go. That's a number. That gives you 1,000 gold. But it's like, not only does it have your army, so you would only get like 600 gold instead of the original 1,000, but then it halves that gold amount. So then you'll get three armies and like 300 gold. Oh. So it's a brutal card. It goes from 1,000 gold and seven armies to 300 gold and three armies. Well worth the investment. Yeah. Savage card. And they're not all that powerful, but some of them are completely ridiculous.
0: Like, are any of them broken ridiculous, then? That's just sort of one example of something that just sort of majorly changes how it goes.
1: Honestly, I haven't seen them all. I've only seen maybe a quarter of them, because we've only played one game so far. But, Ah, yeah, I mean, I imagine that they're not particularly balanced, but at the same time, it kind of makes it more exciting when they're not.
0: Yeah. So it just adds a twist to the game, especially if someone may be just running away with it.
1: Yeah. It was pretty crippling. When I played that card, like I had just basically I had basically just solidified myself as like the owner of the eastern half of the board at that point. And just mm. as my mom thought she was going to be able to turn in, you know, some cards and make a comeback, you know, break up my, ter- my break up my continents and whatever. I play that mm. on her and she gets three armies. And 300 gold. And she's like, well, I guess that's that then. <laughs> and uh, concession.
0: Uh, it sounds like some good, good war-based times.
1: Yeah, it's definitely... There's a lot more to it than regular Risk, for sure. It's really fun. Uh, there's another thing. I love it when... I also love it when versions of Risk uh, incentivize you to turn in your territory cards for some other benefit other than just saving them for armies. Yeah. Because then it gives you, like, a little bit more strategy because then it's like, do I use this for armies or do I use this for, you know, its face value? And then in StarCraft Risk, every card had its own, like, ability associated with it, mm-hmm. which, you know, the master cards essentially take the place of that in this version. But the one thing you can do with territory cards in this version is you can use them to play special units like each card has like a uh, a symbol on it you know it, it basically corresponds to like the you know the infantry cavalry tank picture that they would have in regular risk mm-hmm. but it's a, but the, in this case it's like knight siege engine uh, and like castle or something yeah the knight uh, is a unit that doesn't add one to your force it doesn't count as a unit but it moves with your army and gives you plus one to your highest die roll, wherever it, that army is fighting. Mm. Siege Engine replaces one of your dice with an eight-sided die. out of what now? An eight-sided die.
0: That's That That really doesn't sound like risk at that point.
1: Yeah, no, It's it was cool. When we saw that, it was like, oh my god, that's different. Yeah. There's up to three eight-sided die. Okay. And the Reinforcement... Uh, is a exclusively defensive unit it doesn't move at all uh and when someone tries to attack into a fortified territory uh i think it i believe it adds one to all your dice rolls mm. or something similar to that effect okay so yeah yeah the all of the all of those fortific- all of those special units whenever a territory is taken over with one in it they all like die right away so like if they run out of armies in that area that unit goes with it but they stay alive as long as you are able to preserve that, you know, that force, that army. Mm.
2: You
1: know, they're effectively they're effectively the last man out, even though they're not actually a man.
0: <sighs>
1: so yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a very interesting version of Risk, and I highly encourage any Game of Thrones fans who like board games, or any Risk fans who have even a passing interest in Game of Thrones to try it out. Honestly, I think even people who have never watched Game of Thrones would probably get a kick out of it it's a very interesting twist on the game
0: yeah certainly there's a different take on risk it's uh, something that's ended up in my sort of idea because if it was just risk but in Game of Thrones it probably wouldn't have gone me but with what you've told me it's just risk but different enough to actually think yes please ooh and and it is
1: yeah and it is cool because like you know, the starcraft risk board is essentially it's essentially just the same map just like you know the shape the the territories are shaped slightly differently and it's been flipped on the x-axis and whatever but everything is still mostly the same hmm. but the two boards in the risk the Game of Thrones risk are unique Game of Thrones themed maps they're completely different from any they're not based on anything in regular risk they' they're their own thing. Yeah, so that's also another cool twist because that's another thing that's pretty stagnant about risk is that no matter what version of the game you play certain territories and certain strategies just work better than others but on the new maps you kind of have to make up a, a new game plan that isn't based on old risk strategies
2: yeah so yeah that was uh
1: that was my game for this week I played a, one game on the ES map with my mom and I definitely want to try the the Westeros map and maybe see if we can get other people to play.
0: Sweet, you know what I'll also do at some point then, see if someone's modded it in tabletop sim.
1: Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you got also got to be careful because it's like you know someone might say someone might make a Game of Thrones risk that isn't necessarily like you know the the Game of Thrones risk. Mm. So you'd have to like go in and look and see like okay is this like actually based on the board game version or is this like this person's own mad invention?
0: <laughs> yeah, Well, I think we can get that verified with you and uh, we'll see we'll see how that works later down the line. Now for me, um, mine's mine's not been anywhere near as in depth because I've played I played the little game with myself called. What to do now that we've got an extra hour before the podcast. Uh, so with that, I just quickly looked in my library can and you, went and picked... Can
1: you buy that on Steam?
0: Um, you can't buy that in particularly, uh, particularly on Steam, but you can choose games on Steam as part of that game. So, uh, so I played the game called Streets of Rogue.
1: Streets of Rogue.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's a shocking roguelike game. Oh
2: my god.
0: I know, right? It's not going like it rogue? says it in the name or anything. <laughs> or going, going Rogue is fun. I mean, it it will be on probably on the list of Going Rogue games at some point, since I'm very near the end of the current Going Rogue journey with Hades, even when they bloody patched it with another biome, which means that then my, my objective would technically increase again. But no. Anyway... This roguelike game is a effectively a parody of Streets of Rage, the Mega Drive fighting game which has got a sequel coming out very soon, if it's not already out, where they've changed the art style of it, and it looks cool. So this is the point where Ryan just quickly checks his phone to see if Streets of Rage 4 is, uh, is out yet. Streets of Rage. So yeah, Streets of... Streets of Rage is the do no. yeah, so Streets of Rage was the fighting game on the Mega Drive which involved uh, rookie cops taking on a corrupt regime of gangs in their city that had bought out the police. Streets of Rogue is a underground resistance of people causing havoc in a city because the mayor stole all the beer.
1: God damn it, Mayor. Prohibition didn't
0: work. When will you learn? Yeah, so he stole all the beer and made chicken nuggets illegal because he had a tummy ache one time.
1: <gasps> Alright, he's got to die.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you play as one of various characters in the roguelike tradition. They have their own stats and strengths and weaknesses and starting items and weird little stuff. And you start from the bottom of the city to try and get to the top of it. It's It's layered. So you got the slums on the floor. It's like Midgar from Final Fantasy. Mm. Slums on the bottom. you got the midtown. And then you've got the upper town where the mayor lives. And uh, yeah, you go on to each level. You have to complete a set of randomly generated missions on a randomly generated map. And then you go up to the next floor. You have a life bar where if you run out, you die. And you start back from the beginning again. And you don't keep any items or money that you had in it what you do get are chicken nuggets. They're the rare item, the upgrade your shit item. The item that allows you to then get further on the game each time. And uh, yeah, it's very it's top down. It's 2D, pixely business, all sprites. And um, there's not much more to say about it at the moment. Because it's pretty much just simply, if you want a 5 minute game, then you play this. You just... I see. Some of the some of the objectives will be just like turn off the lights in a house. Turn okay. off the light. Turn out the lights. Yep. Uh another one will be destroy a generator or um just receive this item from this man. Okay, cool. And you get random little objectives and random rewards for doing it. At um, what point do it...
1: you? Uh, at what point do you fight Sephiroth?
0: Um you don't? Listen don't think so. But it's, it's, it's very, mm. very, it's very parody. The game is a very, it wears its humor on its sleeve. You've got a resistance leader at the beginning of the game. It's like, the uh, tutorial is like, oh, come on. Right, see if you can get through this door and open up this chest. You open up the chest and it's like, oh my god, I've never seen anyone do this before. And then he literally explodes.
1: Ah. <gasps> uh, <laughs> uh, is, there, there, is there any similarities to uh, Road Trip to Canada?
0: Uh, You know, I don't know because I, I know that's a game for. that my
1: uh my stepfather's into that he he likes that it's basically uh. like a zombie apocalypse and you got a bunch of people who get together and uh they gotta make their way to canada because they believe it's safe there
0: They're, well i mean i mean technically they'd be right In canada, there's, it's not, enough, there's not enough there's not
1: enough there's not enough people up here to have like a really effective zombie
0: apocalypse
1: no i mean southern ontario would be fucked. but other than that we'd be would be pretty good. Like, if you went to, like, rural Alberta, you're, you're golden. You'll never see a zombie the whole time you live there.
0: Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what the fun... The, actually, that being said, the funny part of that was... A, it reminded me of a Game Theory episode now, which was like... um, Oh, what was it? Yeah, it was like, where to live out the zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Seven Days to Die, and it, I'm sure it said it was somewhere in rural Canada... Was the place based on all like statistics and shit. Only then, at that point, because you found out that that was a safe area, that that wouldn't then be the safe area because everyone would go there.
1: Well, everyone who watched that video and also made it far enough into the zombie apocalypse that they could make a decision to travel.
0: Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, I don't know. As a five minute bit of fun, it was something. As a going rogue, possibly. It's not something that I would keep playing all the time, but it it wasted 45 minutes, so... You know.
1: I really should make a video or two on FTL. Slap that out there.
0: Eh, well, what I say, going Rogue's nearly finished, if you want to have a go.
1: That's a, it's a game I play, it's a game I, I'm i reasonably good at, you know. I think I could, uh, pull together a couple wins.
0: Yeah. sure you'd easily, you know, ten attempts to get through eight sectors. Done. But, uh, Yeah, I think that ends, then, our little trip through what's been played. So, it's now time to go to news time, where shit hits the fan, and the fan gets covered in shit. News time.
1: I feel like, as much as I want to start with, like, the one positive piece of news, I feel like at least the first two kind of have a certain chronological order to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like they one do, makes really, more sense
1: they. to follow the other.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think I think we do have to start with the top one, don't we? Just so this to, isn't
1: so to... much a news article, per se. This is me watching YouTube videos and then posting stuff I saw. Yeah, I often do. Well, occasionally do. I've done it like four times, like ever. Yeah. So um, it's a, this this
0: crash team racing thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, crash team racing. Uh, remake of a of a racing game from of the same name from uh I don't know, like early 2000s or something
0: 90 like late, late,
1: late 90s oh is it 90s wow okay yeah, was, yeah older than I mean thought it. I'm too old save me. save me <laughs> so anyway so cash stream racing um in the same vein as the uh, crash reignited trilogy sort of a amped up remake of a classic crash game yep uh British uh, youtuber by the name of Kacoris I'm sure many people know who he is mm. He's a pretty popular guy and known for he's one he's, he's uh, one of those people who's known f- to be in the vein of the like hyperbolic negative reviews of older games and occasionally like nice reviews as well but that's his bread and butter is you know tearing apart ba- terrible old games
0: okay you know, so very... classic yes he liked
1: Yes, very, very, like, very much like Yatsi, except, you know, it, I, uh, I was only going to say like even faster speech, but pretty close. Um, mm. so he's a big Crash fan. Crash is like the game series that like really got him interested in video games, video game design, and like you know, and just uh, it, it was a big part of his childhood. So you know, he's been very positive of the newer Crash games, and uh, I can't recall. I believe. I don't remember if he got a full sponsorship, or if he just got, like, an advanced copy of the racing game. I know that he had some kind of deal where he got the Crash Team Racing and was, like, you know, like, asked to do a review for them.
0: Yeah, some sort of promoted... Some sort of promotional thing.
1: I I can't remember the details. All I remember is that, you know, he gave an honest, glowing review of Crash Team Racing. He... You know, he pointed out that there were, you know, a couple of small glitches, but overall he enjoyed all the new additions. Uh, yeah, it's just an overall extremely positive review of the game. Uh, and he meant it. It wasn't like, you know, he was just like being paid to say nice things.
2: hmm
1: You know, I mean, being a big Crash fan, it meant a lot to him that they took the time and care into making a good remake of a good game that he liked many years ago. You know, he... Uh, then fast forward some uh, some months you know he and, uh, and uh, it turns out that the um the activision
0: yeah the publishers it's always fucking activision
1: activision who are the publishers for the uh the uh, crash team racing remake yep. uh decided that they were going to add microtransactions in their little uh their little e-store there they had in cash the uh the Crash Team Racing remake. So the context behind this is that the game launched with a system, some kind of coin based system where by playing the game over and over again, completing any race of any kind, you got coins, which were just sort of in-game currency that you could use to buy cosmetics and characters and things like that for different racers in the game. Uh, and you know you can get more by completing certain challenges and getting trophies and et cetera, et cetera. But there was no system at launch that allowed you to buy these coins with for currency. You just you just had to get them through sheer hard work and determination by playing the game over and over again. And if you cared about the game a lot, you know you could play the game, all, all you know day, every day and unlock all mm-hmm. your super expensive cosmetics. Yeah. And if you didn't care about the game, whatever. It was a system that was not designed for you in the first place, and it wasn't a big deal if you didn't get in on all the, you know, cool glitz and glam fun of it. Indeed. And then Activision comes by and says that, you know, that's not a very profitable model. So they enable people to purchase these coins for uh, real money through microtransactions. And this made... Mr. Kitekris, who initially praised this system uh, cautiously but optimistically for the fact that it rewards, you know, continuous play and continued reinvestment of time and effort into the game. Yep. You know, he had nothing but nice things to say about the system, but he also knew it. But he also noted in his original review that it did look an awful lot like a template for an e-store that would normally house microtransactions. And he, was, he did note that he was uh, very cautious about what might happen in the future.
0: Oh, and he was right, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. The developers of the game actually went out and said that, you know, they did not have plans to have microtransactions for the game when it came out. So this ended up being a publisher decision on Activision's part.
0: And, of course, because Activision are fucking scumbags yeah
1: and so Catechris, uh came back went back on the airs and started you know and went on a big 18 minute long rant about mm. how he felt he felt but you know he felt betrayed in a you know on this in the sense that you know they ended up succumbing to the usual transaction pitfalls and you know you know all the all the kids and and such that you know would play these games, and they see all the cool cosmetics that all their friends and random strangers on the internet are playing with, It's like, oh, well, that looks like it's going to take a really long time to get, I guess I'll just buy it, I'll make my mom buy it, or I'll take their credit card, or, you know, young adults who are impatient and don't have time to invest 40 hours into one game, they'll just, you know, dump a lot of money into it, you know, people who have spending habit problems, you know, people who don't do so well mentally at controlling their money. Yep. Will be particularly vulnerable to these microtransactions as they have been in the past.
0: Indeed, I mean the 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 big thing that would come up on this, um, I'll keep mentioning them every now and again, but Jim Sterling, massive thing against microtransactions. It's not because they're there. I mean they're a problem, you know that, that they come up, but it's, it's it's things like the loot box thing, in the sense that it does it preys on. Gambling addicts, young children, anyone who publishers think that they can just make a quick book from.
1: And it's like you know, you could say as a as a defender of Michael Jackson's, you could be a person who goes and says, "Well, these you know these people should be aware of their their problems, and uh, you know if they know that's going to be an issue for them, they should just not play these games or just distance themselves from it." But I Some just tips. you know, I also think it's, but that's a f- uh, unfair argument because it's like an entire demographic of potential customers who were never faced with the problem before you know in the time before time before games were all connected to the internet and microtransactions even existed you know an entire demographic of customers has coming uh, has grown up with the video game industry never having to mm-hmm. deal with that problem and they're now as young adults who have credit cards and bank accounts and full-time and part-time jobs, yeah. they're now being confronted by a problem they never had before, where they are having difficulties controlling their, you know, their inhibitions because their brain just don't work quite right, and it's not fair that uh, the uh, gaming industry is preying on that and taking advantage of that. Yeah. And, you know, and another thing, what really, what really drove it home, the point home for me with Encada Chris's review is that it's not like, you know, it's not, you know, it's not like some game that he didn't care about, you know, you know, like, like you could say Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2 comes out and, you know, every, it's, it's full of microtransactions, you know, 80% of the game is locked off until you either spend a thousand hours or a thousand dollars playing the game you know you have a game like that which i never had anything to do with i never cared i'd be like oh microtransactions are a piece of shit but like for him it was a lot more personal than that because not only was it a game that he liked in the past not only is it a game that he genuinely enjoyed playing when it was remade but it was Hmm. also a game that he was essentially tricked into giving a glowing positive review on only to, you know, and I mean, let's face it, the guy's got a lot of subscribers, he has reach, he has an audience, he... I'm sure there's no doubt in my mind that he probably sold copies of that game with his review. You know, maybe it was a few hundred, maybe it was a few thousand. There's no real easy way of measuring it, but he sold copies with that review, undoubtedly, with his reach and his influence. And now potentially some of those people who bought this game based on his review uh, are now you know being uh you know they're being uh, fleeced by back division when uh, they were never under the impression that that was even a threat
0: yeah yeah and that's 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 the bit that sort of pissed me off like I say those two things could twofold this I never also never agreed with the argument of um. Oh, well, if they don't like these loot boxes, then they shouldn't play these games. Well, no. Here's the problem: they're being fucking inserted into almost every game. So now he's saying that because of that, people shouldn't just play video games. No. Keep it's like yeah, they're, they're shit being out.
1: interjected into games in which they're completely unnecessary. Yeah. In the first place, you know, they're being. Like, I mean, in this case, they're being retroactively retrofitted into games that did not originally have these problems. So it's like, like what? You'd have to stop playing games in the out of fear of the fact that they might eventually include microtransactions later on. Like, how? F- that's not fair. Hmm. I mean, God, how, what percentage of the world's population, you know, has some kind of mental disorder or illness that, you know, makes it difficult for them to control their Spending like that, you know, like, how many people, what percentage of the population has some kind of gambling addiction or, you know, money management problems? Like, how many people have to not play video games anymore just because, you know, the system is so prevalent?
0: Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's, that's the worst bit at the end of the day, because they're just looking for the whale, the person who will spend the majority of money regardless of whether they can, whether they need to, whether they want to. It doesn't matter. As long as they get the money, they couldn't give a flying fuck. And that's that's the problem. And, you know, and so loot boxes got justly panned for. I mean, the concept of the loot box itself couldn't, you know, may not be, may not have been that bad, but the way that it was inserted into video game culture and the way that they just needed to Shift the goalposts a little bit more, a little bit more. Make what was unacceptable just a bit further out of reach. And then the diehards who, you know, to take into account of the stupid president of the United States. A publisher who could just sit there with their diehard fan, shoot someone in the street and just get away with it. It's, it's, it pisses me off. I mean, and it's not like, it's not like the, you know, between this and cutting costs of stuff. That it's making, um, oh what what to say? That it's, that it's making games cheaper because it's not. They're getting even more expensive, and then they're putting these roadblocks in the way for people. It's a it's a load of shit, really. I'm sure you sort of with me on that opinion. It's
1: yeah, no, I mean like it's. I I know the world is a different place. It doesn't work the way it used to in the '90s and or the '80s for that matter. You know, I I get that but it's like it's i don't know we we seemed we did we did fine for a very 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 long time video games did fine for a good solid two decades before this was ever really a thing and you know it became a juggernaut in the entertainment world it became you know some there are companies today that are that rank among the most financially successful in the world and have been in that position since well before, you know, loot boxes and microtransactions and, you know, vaguely disguised, you know, roulette tables were yeah. uh, major parts of the industry. Uh, so I don't really know. I, I, I When people say that, like, these Sansa things are necessary to keep the gaming industry alive, I, was like, I don't believe you. I don't believe that what you're saying is a true statement.
2: Mm.
1: <clears throat> no. Because I know it's not true. I've seen it. Okay, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a young guy, you know, I missed a lot of the early gaming history, but I'm aware of it, and I did catch the little, you know, the tail end of it, you know. I saw it, I saw the game industry doing just fine for many years.
0: Yeah. There was, <coughs> yeah, for, absolute, for absolutely ages. <coughs> you know, you know, it was like the fact of, oh look, these additional skins and costumes you can get in games, you know what they used to be back in the 90s? Cheat codes. Yeah,
1: that's actually... I don't, I can't remember if it was in that video or not. I think, but uh, that was uh, a thing that was pointed out either by comments or posts or possibly in the video. I I don't really remember. But I remember someone saying, like, uh, it used to be like, you know, if I wanted weird cosmetics or to make my character look strange or to unlock a special secret character, you'd either just play the game or you'd punch in a cheat code. Now, instead of punching in a cheat code, you punch in your credit card number.
0: Yeah so yeah that's that's the really annoying depressing thing of it so related to that we'll just move these because we'll just sort of move this forward i mean a couple of the new stories that have come up next sort of link into this you know the 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 video itself um i'll put the youtube link of the video in the description for the podcast as well so you can have a, a watch of it um I mean, to be honest, it'd be more likely the other way around. But anyway, um, yeah, based on that, the ESA, fresh from their we can't hear you, of giving away a whole bunch of people's information, have managed to get an agreement mm-hmm. with the big console producers that state that loot box odds must be disclosed in their games. So, yeah, uh, so,
1: I guess, I guess we can call this uh, a minor uh, upswing in the mood in between our, uh, our death march of news for the for this uh, afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, it's quoted here in this gameindustry.biz article that uh, ESA chief council of tech policy. My God, what a title! Uh, Mr. Michael Warnocky, or just Warneck, announced. Uh, yeah, that these uh, these are going to be happening, and in addition, as an update in two, by two thousand and twenty, the following list of. Publishers will also pledge to disclose odds, including Activision Blizzard, Bandai Namco Entertainment, Bethesda, Bungie, Electronic Arts, Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony Interactive Entertainment, Take-Two Interactive, Ubisoft, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. So, all publishers that use loot boxes, pretty much, in AAA gaming. What's the catch by 2020? I mean, they'll find their way to just shove microtransactions in somewhere else. At that point, they will just make loot box disclosure not necessary. But you know,
1: notably absent from this list. Uh, I mean, lots of people, but uh, notably, Epic Games and Riot Games not on the list.
0: Oh yeah, interesting. Ah, here we go. Some other other uh, ones. This was the before the August the eighth update. Notable publishers include Five Oh Five Games. Capcom, CI Games, Deep Silver, Disney, Epic, Focus, Gearbox, Gung-Ho, Intellivision Entertainment, Calypso, Konami, Magic Leap, NC Soft, Natsumi, Nexon, Rebellion, Riot, Sega, Square, as you said, um, THQ Nordic, Tencent, and Marvelous. So, the other big ones. But, uh, you know, Epic could turn around and say that they donate 90% of their money to charity, they still wouldn't get the games industry to like them at the moment. So, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then an even further update on that, that Psyonix said they're just going to get rid of them. The guys behind Rocket League. Well, that's something. So, you know. That is purely, I reckon, is (laughs) funnily enough, is probably based on uh, what Jim Sterling said in one of his videos, which is, he gave Rocket League a Game of the Year award, and he doesn't give games a Game of the Year award if they've got if they're fee to pay. So if you've got to pay for the game and then pay for microtransactions. Doesn't give an award. Cyanix got the reward for, or the award for Rocket League. Then brought out the loot boxes. So he felt he had to scrub that from the record. A week later they said they're getting rid of them. I feel their reputation is required. But uh, you know. So that's, that's some loot box information. And then speaking of weird shit. This, this came up from your Gamer. How oh bad boy. is your reputation with a country that you send death threats? Because uh, this, <laughs> this is what happened to uh, a man who isn't named, but uh, he threatened to do a repeat of Kyoto animation. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what happened there, someone sent death threats towards a animation studio in Japan, then set fire to said animation studio, killing a bunch of people in there. Thirty-five people, to be exact. Absolute dickhead. <laughs> Simple.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Situation on that. But uh, yeah, he he sent this uh, death threat over email to Square Enix, saying, "Give me back my money from your shit game." Do you want a repeat of Kyoto Animation? He promptly got arrested, and was told by uh, told police, "quote I was pissed off at losing in a game, so I sent the mail." Now, there's a few Final Fantasy. Mobile Square Enix games, probably where you could lose like that. If I was to guess anything, maybe Brave Exodus. But, uh, yeah, that's not the first time that it's happened as well, because according to the same Eurogamer article, a 25-year-old nursing care worker threatened staff after failing to get an item in a gacha game despite spending over £1,500.
1: I wish they had uh, disclosed how much money the uh, this, this jackass had, had spent on the game. I would yeah. I would like to know like how much money he thinks is worth you know like how much money can can this guy lose in uh, a game before it's worth it for him to go burn a building down with actual human beings inside of it
0: Yeah, I mean but, he probably uh, wouldn't have f- done it if he had loot box <laughs> odds.
1: But it's also yeah, well it's like also you know, I mean not not that this is exactly the world's best time to play Devil's Advocate. I genuinely yeah, this is obviously a very terrible person who's had an abundantly negative reaction to uh to this game. Mm. On the same hand, you know, we can't say something like that and then just pretend that we didn't spend the last twenty minutes talking about people with gambling addictions and people with mental health problems playing these games and uh, you know, this is what this is what these systems do to people, man. You know, it's I mean, gambling itself is a problem. I mean this if this guy wasn't spending his game on video his money on video games, he'd be at of casino somewhere probably so it's not even like but uh, it's it's when you can download it into your onto your television
2: and
0: mm.
1: play it from home not even have to get up it's uh it, it's easier than ever yeah i i i'm personally it's like i got nothing against gambling as a concept i i think it's fine as mm. long as it is heavily regulated and i been kept you know, in a very separate, very segregated part of the world, I, it needs to be. It needs to be like a process to go to a place or to interact with a thing which allows you to gamble, in my yes. opinion, because it needs to be a very conscious decision, a very conscious act for a person to go out of their way to go and gamble because of the risks it place it uh, creates for susceptible individuals. Mm. Which is why it's so dangerous to have these, you know, sort of pseudo-gambling systems in our gaming, you know, our gaming industry.
0: Yeah, where where stuff like this is just bought as a shop item as opposed to...
1: You know, it's like, it's just, it's it's casinos that you, it's a casino that you can download onto your PS4, or your PC, or your Xbox, and you don't even win money for it. You just win pixelated digital avatar that will disappear in a year when the game goes out of business.
2: Hmm, yeah.
1: So yeah, that guy's a dick, but so are the people who make loot box systems and gadget systems, so what do you want what do you want? What can
0: you say? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Maybe it's just better if they do just fully regulate loot boxes. You know what? Fuck okay. it. We obviously can't be trusted as a as a species now in in terms of that. So, you know what? Fuck okay. it. What we can be trusted to do is make decisions and learn, you know. Well, I kind of brought it up at the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to sort of bring it up very briefly at the end. Just censoring shit that you think is the problem instead of dealing with the actual problem is fucking stupid. This comes off the news that was based everywhere that Walmart stores were pulling down and unplugging advertisements for what they perceived as violent video games in wake of the mass shootings that occurred. Well, it be two weekends ago now because that solves the problem.
2: Uh, yes, uh, okay,
1: here's, here's the thing about that. Before I was kind of like, you know, I wasn't really taking the guy's side, I was just like, okay, let's just, let's just, uh, you know, I just wanted to bring all the points to the table. Mm. This one I am going to play somewhat of a devil's advocate on because while I don't think that, you know, their, their, uh, solution, quote unquote, is going to fix any problems, I also think that, I don't think this has anything to do with necessarily, you know, solving the problem of violent video games and violent imagery creating, uh, you know, violent criminals in our society. I don't think that really is what this is about. I think this Mm -hmm. is more just a sensitivity issue. I think it's just, it's like when people are hit with tragedy, when when a region is hit by a major tragedy like this. You know, uh, a violent act is committed against one or a number of individuals, and it seems it seems unprovoked, it seems totally, you know, it seems completely out of left field. It shocks people, and it upsets them, and the last thing they want to see the next time they go out to the store to buy their groceries is things that remind them of the, this tragic event that, you know, has brought their, their community to, to heal. Mm. so and and i and walmart did specifically say that you know like this isn't you know it's not about you know it's not it's not like this is like their step one in removing violent games from society you know they just said it's like this is a temporary thing this is just a temporary measure it's like we're gonna take things down and let let the emotions settle let people heal from this uh tragic event and, you know, and then we'll talk about it later.
0: Yeah, okay. No, I, 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 yeah, I get that. And I guess, actually, when you think about it, the shooting happened in a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, didn't it? The the first right. of right. the two.
1: That's that is, that is also important context. Yeah. And now, um, yeah, it's... Go ahead.
0: Oh, no, sorry. Now continue. Sorry, I was just...
1: I've, I've got a whole other... I've got, like, the rest of this, my contingency to go on so i mean if you've got any more points or anything
0: no, no I think it, I think it's, yeah no because let's like I say i think well main, my main sort of issue on this is it's, it's it's a repeat of what happened in the late 90s with night trap the game that was out for the sega cd where there was this threat that was like sexual violence going on in the in the game and therefore everything needs to be monitored. And that's what brought the age rating system into effect between that and Mortal Kombat. You know, that sort of brought the age rating system in. And then there was this fear and it always seems to happen in, you know, sort of the, 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 the populated countries that there is this sort of constant battle for correlation on whether watching something or doing something will inherently make you think that you could go out and recreate what you've learned. And, you
1: know, that might be true for, like, a very small, mentally unhealthy percentage of the population, but the overwhelming majority of people understand the barriers between fiction and reality. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not even relevant to consider the correlation. Uh, and it's like, I actually, uh, I, just to go and on a bit of a tangent here, I watched i don't know if you've ever watched the show uh uh sorry first we feast
0: i haven't but i know of it
1: yeah so first we feast uh, so I, should, I should say it's a channel not a show but the first we feast channel has a show called hot ones which is essentially just a, a, a a show where a guy i can't remember his name uh does interviews with various celebrities internet celebrities real celebrities actors, musicians, what what have you. Anyone who's relevant at the time. It's yeah. A massively popular show. We could it's like like 10 million subscribers, like millions and millions of views. Um one of the um one of the my personal favorite guests on that show was uh, Alton Brown, uh, right. who's a uh, is an American uh cooking show icon over here. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's well known in many places, but in particular he's well known in the States uh, for, I believe it was Good Eats and like food science, food scientists or something like that. But, uh, uh,
0: so he's basically, he's American version of who we would have over here. We've got a, we've got a cook called Heston Blumenthal, he who's a sort of food scientist he mixes yeah. two, two odd flavors together to get something that is actually considered quite tasty because of how they realize how the taste buds operate. Yeah, he's the kinda
1: of, he's the kind of guy who became very popular amongst like the common people, so to speak. You know, like as opposed to shows that like really as opposed to shows like like Iron Chef or something that which like back in its prime was like very much appealed to like people who are like really into like the high art of cuisine.
0: Yeah, uh, high dining he, sort of thing, yeah.
1: Alton Brown was very much appealed to sort of the, the layman in the cooking the layman of the cooking world in the sense that he could take like a very complicated idea of like why food tastes like this. Why do these molecules interact in these ways to make Mm -hmm. your food, your, your palate go, Ooh, and he could take it and make it very relatable and understandable terms. And he could, you know, do very, make very simple adjustments and suggestions and very simple tips and tricks for cooking that anyone could do. And make it taste like it was prepared by, you know, a Michelin star chef. Yeah. You know, he made food fun and interesting and and all that. Uh, He was, you know, he's also known for somewhat of an eccentric personality. Like he's very very much like a, like not like a Guy Fieri kind of hyperbolic personality, but like just sort of like a a bit of an oddball. You know, he's got a funny hairstyle and he talks in a, a quick and quirky way. So people liked him. For his mm-hmm. personality and for the way he treated food uh and he was on that show and one of the questions that he was asked was um i'll get around to it I've, i know i've been going on a bit of a long tangent but i'm 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 bringing it right i'm bringing it around i'm completing my orbit here okay uh one of the questions he was asked was like what were any like what were like the watershed moments of you know the cooking industry and like the the food network as a whole like what were Think, were there any like major events or shows that came out that you know made food network as big as it was and he he very plainly just said like 911 you know 911 is what made food at the industry what it is today uh and he sort of related it to how you know there was this great big tragic event you know 4000 dead and you know, it was, a viol- it was an attack on American soil, the first one since Pearl Harbor. Uh, and, you know, it was this event that brought everyone down, and all of a sudden, no one, everyone was like afraid and scared and sad. And all they wanted was comfort, all they wanted was something non violent, something gentle, something comfortable. And so the Food Network, which at the time had been a very specialty, niche network suddenly exploded in viewership because no one wanted to watch the news. No one wanted to watch, you know, sitcoms or dramas or, they just wanted to watch cooks prepare food and make, you know, and smile and, and, uh, and it just, just wanted to be comforted. And uh, Hmm. so like, I think that that kind of sentiment is a big part of, uh, where walmart is coming from i don't believe it's necessarily coming from a place of censorship or paranoia i i think it's just about trying to console you know a wounded community Mm. you know try and get their mind off of the tragedy for a few weeks or a few months or what have you yeah uh so that's where that's coming from i think What's also in the article, and what I think is closer to what your you were originally afraid of and originally leaning towards, yeah, is you know everyone's favorite president
2: oh, ranting yeah. on
1: about how you know violent video games cause violent criminals, and we need to heavily regulate this uh, this industry. And it's like I feel like Walmart's solution is a temporary fix done out of sensitivity, whereas Trump is talking about. You know, turning it—you know—making, creating permanent legislature that would uh, that would heavily regulate the video game industry, and that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that I don't agree with because I and I would have I would have thought that Mister Donald Trump, ever the uh, uh, economist, ever the capitalist, ever the Republican, would be would understand the value in letting the market sort of regulate itself. And, you know, leave it up to the parents and the individuals to decide what sort of things are okay for them and their children and, you know, decide for themselves what their limitations are and what they should and should not be exposed to.
0: Yeah, and certainly not tell them what their limitations are and what they think they shouldn't, should and shouldn't be exposed to. That's, that's the sort of sort of his issue. I mean, now that you've mentioned it about the Walmart, I can see where they're they're coming on, in regards to it. But for, for I feel for, for sort of Donald Trump and that that's that's just another sign of a bit of control, to be honest. But that's that's yeah, not.
1: Yeah, it's like I, I I just you know I think my concern isn't what Walmart is doing. My concern is opportunists who are prone to scapegoating, like you know uh, the current president in the United States. You know, I'm concerned that they will use a combination of this event plus Walmart's reaction from it, or any other company's reaction to it for that matter, whoever else may who whoever else may voluntarily join up with them. You know, nothing has been said yet, but you never know. You know yeah, I, I'm afraid of them using that as a jumping off platform for you know, making their campaign and making their point.
0: Yeah. I mean, we should also say at that point that um, respawn, or there was respawn and EA were supposed to be doing a Apex Legends tournament recently as well, and that's been postponed in wake of the shootings. And a bit closer to home on that, or a bit closer to the time, um, there was supposed to be a Bloomhouse horror-ish film due out very soon called The Hunt, which was a a vi- uh, a film starring Hillary Swank as a bunch of people who get kidnapped by some elitist people <laughs> to hunt for purely for sport purposes. And that's also been postponed indefinitely now due to the mass shootings as well. So there's a lot of media that's doing their part, shall we say, in terms of not glorifying gun violence, but not
1: inflaming the issue, you know, I, that's that's and that's what I mean. This is this is the difference between sensitivity and censorship.
2: Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean what,
1: what these people are doing is is sensitivity. What you know, what the politicians are proposing, that's censorship. And it's important to understand the distinction.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, cuz it's it's not like they've been taken down because of a government thing. They've they volunteered to uh, volunteered to do it. That's 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 just let's just put it at like that. But I mean, at the end of the day Until people actually realistically talk about the gun control problem, that's all it's going to be, is people volunteering to drop stuff to give people that little bit of time before things get back to normal and it happens again. The cycle needs to stop, but until the right target is looked at, that's going to be tough.
1: Yeah, you mentioned gun control. I mean, I'm not even going to go. I'm not even going to start on that. I have actually have something I want to talk to you about after the podcast that is related to that that you might get a kick out of. Yeah, well, not like a but, good, not like a not like a good kick, or a bad kick, but a kick. But,
0: yeah, some sort of yeah interest out of. But yeah, I guess that that'll be that'll be the 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 right jumping off point to wrap this podcast up then. So yeah, uh, my throat's
1: starting to hurt after all that talking. So I'm, I'm yeah. good
0: yeah no definitely so yeah we'll get on to that so just to give people the reminder since we've been getting some new subscribers recently if you are one of those new subscribers and you're listening hello welcome thank welcome. you for a, yeah sorry
1: for this sorry for the downer of a podcast
0: yeah we, we're not usually like this there's a lot of happy happy fun stuff but sometimes we can get into some actual discussion as well but uh yeah so you you know you're on here you've 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 checked out based on the channel trailer. You want to know when the schedule is. Okay, here's the schedule. Tuesdays the podcast. You're listening to it. Every other Wednesday when it's back from hiatus. Shattered Reflections. Uh, Thursdays. Teamfight Thursdays. For all your lol and teamfight tactics love. And maybe even Dota Underworlds and Auto Chess. If we ever get round to it. Uh, Fridays. General's War Table. Ste is... Either very close or finished XCOM 2. I'll have to be honest, I didn't get to the end. I left it as a cliffhanger for myself. I just put the stuff up and put it on the social media. Uh, Saturdays, play sessions for when we all want to get together and play some games. Simple as. Uh, Sundays, sibling rivalry for when uh, Duncan and his sister Andrea want to play some games and not necessarily work together. And uh, Mondays is uh, going rogue for when we want to challenge each other.
2: Yeah,
1: we uh, and uh, there may be some more projects coming down the pipeline, specifically on mine and my sister's end there. Not yeah. necessarily related to Sibling Rivalry. It might end up being a new thing. We're not really sure what's going on there. Uh, we're yeah. looking into making some recordings.
0: Yeah, and uh, and potentially uh, streaming.
1: Games. Yeah, streaming as well. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been thinking about I've been wanting to do Twitch streams for a while now. Uh, but just lacking a second monitor and a decent setup, I just it's just never been really viable. Hmm. But now that I've got a monitor, a second monitor, you know, and a fairly decent setup, good some good equipment, I can maybe consider revisiting that idea. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so but yeah, me, me and my sister are planning on doing some recordings on console games. Particularly games on the Switch, but maybe the PS4 as well. Aye. So uh, we're very excited about that. We'll have more information on that later, probably by the next podcast.
0: Coolio's. That'll be something. And I guess in the meantime, then, just in case, I'll have to just dust off the details for the Immaterial Gamers Twitch channel as well, because you know, there's there's one there I was going to consider doing streaming at some point, and then priorities changed. <laughs> but, Yeah. So that's your that's your, your your schedule for the week and uh you know hopefully what we'll do next week we'll try and do a try and well hopefully if the news is good we can do a happier podcast yeah so. hopefully
1: it's uh it hurts my throat to be talking about the sad news because sad news usually requires a lot more discussion than the happy news
0: yeah yeah definitely but uh you know hopefully we'll be able to save our throats, and everything will be good. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Duncan, thank you for joining. Always a pleasure. And uh, until next time, people, for God's sake, actually, yeah, this more is this more is than
1: ever, gotta emphasize this one today.
0: Yeah. Do not kill each other.
1: Uh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, yeah. Have a good week. Have an uneventful week. And we'll see you then.
2: See you later. Bye-bye. Bye Bye-bye!